The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today on Crawl Call, actor Steve Tom's new film, Dumb and Dumber 2, opened in theaters nationwide today. He's here to tell us all about it, and we'll find out what it's really like working with funny man Jim Carrey. Then, stylist Sam Sabora has designs on telling us all about the third season of the hit TLC series, Something Borrowed, Something New, and he'll even give you some advice on what you can do to make your wedding day less stressful. Plus, as Thanksgiving Day approaches and we start to think about what we might be serving for the big meal, documentary filmmaker Patrick Creedon wants us to remember that there are some children in our own neighborhoods who struggle on a day-to-day basis with getting enough food to eat. That's coming up today on Crawl Call. Welcome to this week's edition of Crow Call and uh, Burr. It is really cold. I don't know what's going on. It's some sort of crawler vortex here in the studio today. Uh, I've got some hot tea, so you'll excuse me for a minute while I, I take a sip. If I could get some mittens, and if I didn't have to type during the show, I would put on some mittens. Uh, like I said, I don't know why it's so cold in here, but someone needs to get me a parka or a shawl or something during the commercial break, because that will go a long way, because we we really do have a lot of different things to talk about this week. You heard it in the introduction. We are going to be talking to one of the stars of Dumb and Dumber 2 in just a bit, but I thought that it would be a great way to kick off this show, and since we're getting to know each other on a regular basis here, uh, I would share with you my own dumb and dumber moment, and honestly, I can't believe that I'm going to be sharing this, but <laughs> as I said, Crow Call is a show about sharing and caring, and if I want you to call in and ask questions to sex experts and wedding experts and all those other things, I guess I need to come clean and do my part as well. So, here's the setup. It's not really much of a setup, but I went on a late night dog walking expedition with my neighbor. We do it every night. It's good, some good exercise. And as we were walking, we passed by this bit of, of twisted metal and melted plastic. And to tell you the truth, I really don't know what it was. And I don't know that it really matters for the point of, of this story. But I mean, just get the visuals of, you know, the twisted metal and melted plastic. And she looks over at it and says, it looks like a dolly. And I replied before my brains could really fire off on, on full cylinders. I said, oh my gosh, it really does look like a Dalai Lama. And as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I knew what I had said. And it took me a minute of laughing and her laughing at me and pointing. And you know, even the dog was laughing at this point. And I did correct myself and say that it was a Salvador Dali. But for just that moment, uh, it looked as though I didn't know it difference between an artist and you know a world peace expert in life so that's my dumb and dumber moment i would love to hear yours go to the twitter machine at crawl call show go to crawlcall.com or go to our facebook page share some of yours don't leave me feeling alone in this and because we have a great you know before i tell you i just thought of another one 
This one's actually, it doesn't involve me, so this is even better. This is a family member who will remain nameless because if I name this person, they will probably throttle me. Anyway, they called me up the other day and they said, are you not doing your show anymore? And I said, no, I'm doing it. What do you mean? And this person said, well, I looked up on the schedule and it, Soap Central Live isn't there anymore. There's something called a crawl call. And I was trying not to laugh. I'm like, okay, uh, what's the name of the show again? And the person said, Kroll Call. And I'm like, and what is my name? And she, not she, the person, it's, it could be a man. Yeah, sure. Uh, said, oh, so is that your show? I said, yes, it's my show. And we had the whole discussion. And now said person who will not be named and will probably be uninviting me from Thanksgiving, now knows to tune in every Friday that Soap Central Live is now Crawl Call, and we talk about all sorts of other things, including some of the things that we're going to be talking about today. As I said, we've got a great show for you. Sam Sabora will be talking about weddings. This is your chance, if you've got something planned in your future, if you're thinking of getting married, this is your chance to call in and get some free wedding-style advice and all sorts of other things from him. That's coming up later in the show. That'll be a lot of fun. And Patrick Creedon has created a very powerful documentary that reminds Reminds us of what we can do to help children. But up first, though, as I mentioned, it'll be Steve Tom, and we'll talk to him right after this brief break. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, soap fans, are you looking for the inside scoop on your favorite daytime drama series? For 15 years, soap fans have looked no further than SoapCentral.com. Every day, SoapCentral.com has comprehensive daily recaps of all the happenings on your favorite soap operas. Take a sneak peek ahead with the scoop for spoilers and previews, or share your thoughts with soap fans from around the world on our bustling message boards. If you're looking for a little history or just looking to settle a bet with a friend, Check out hundreds of character profiles and actor biographies. Now you'll be able to know who slept with who and who's come back from the dead the most times. Plus, exclusive interviews, red carpet coverage of the daytime Emmys, and much more. Whether you watch The Young and the Restless, General Hospital, All My Children, or any of the other soaps, SoapCentral.com will keep you tuning in tomorrow. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com are wondering what our musical return from commercial is, that is a snippet of the song Dumb by Seal, and that segues perfectly into introducing my first guest this week. It shouldn't be much of a surprise if you were listening, you already knew who it is, but if you don't, play along with me here. He could be seen nationwide in theaters starting today in the comedy Dumb and Dumber 2, but that's not the only place that you can see Steve Tom on television. He's part of the TNT series Major Crimes. You may have seen him in more than 20 episodes of the HBO series Funny or Die Presents, and (laughs) he is set to begin production on another eagerly anticipated sequel that we'll talk about in just a little bit. Steve Tom, welcome to Crawl Call. 
John, thank you for having me. It is so nice to be here. I've been looking forward to it all week. Okay, so let's get right to the thing here. You heard me okay. say earlier uh, in the beginning my little uh, Dan Kroll, dumb and dumber moment of whatever, of, of coming clean, that I've had some really dumb and dumber moments in my life recently. Is there anything, I don't want to be the only one, is there anything that you can share recently that maybe you've done so I don't feel as though, you know, I'm the only one who doesn't know the difference between the Dalai Lama and Salvador Dali? Yes, absolutely, and it, uh, it goes back a whole 20 seconds when I just called you John. <laughs> I, I have, I, I had another... <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I answered it. You know, there's a funny story. I was actually called John for seven years by the maintenance building in the apartment where I lived because he <laughs> thought my name was John. And then once he knew that it wasn't, he couldn't go back. He had to call me John. He just couldn't say John. It was yeah, like, boy, you, you, once you commit to something, you got to stick with it, I guess. <laughs> so I'll still be John for the next 15 minutes. It'll be great. Uh, oh, my gosh. I, well, I apologize, Dan. Um, okay. uh, yeah, I've got a couple of those dumb and dumber moments where – you know, you just, when the first syllable comes out of your mouth, you know it's heading straight for disaster. And um, I don't remember ex- the details exactly of, of uh, one or both of those things, but I do remember they both uh, resulted in my being slapped. You were slapped? That sounds yeah. more like yeah. me missing uh, the names of people wasn't so bad. You said something that got you slapped. That's got to be bad. Yeah, well, you know, I... I, I, I've got kind of an odd sense of humor sometimes, and and uh, you don't you can't hit a home run every time, and it's you true. know sometimes you say something uh, intending it to be interpreted one way, and unfortunately it's uh, wildly misinterpreted, and you get your face slapped. But let's You're never absolutely- speak of it again. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right about not being able to hit a home run every time. I am fully experienced in that. And I think folks who are listening know that sometimes when they attempt to do sequels of movies, they're not always home runs by the time you get to the seventh, eighth, and ninth spinoff of an original movie. But Dumb and Dumber, yeah. this sequel took its 20 years to get to. Why have we waited 20 years for the sequel? Well, it was, uh, yeah, it was a long road, and the, I think the biggest reason that it took 20 years was because Jim has never been a sequel guy, he's, he's, they, that's not really his thing, and um, he resisted for a long, long time, um, but the one thing that nobody wanted to do, uh, if a sequel was to be made, was just to make one for the sake of making one and to rehash old Dumb and Dumber jokes. Um, that was the last thing anybody wanted to do. Um, and when this ball finally started rolling, I guess it was about five years ago, uh, so the story goes, when Jim was sitting in a hotel room watching uh, his own work on the original Dumb and Dumber, and he just sat bolt upright in bed and said, you know what, I've been hearing nothing but the fans want this for 15 years. And by golly, it's time to do it. And so they got the ball rolling. Uh, Jeff Daniels was instantly on board, uh, of course. Uh, and, uh, you know, it had its ups and downs. Um, it, it was on and then off, and Jim was in and out. And um, the casting director, Rick Montgomery, called me in, in probably the early spring of last year and told me that Peter and Bobby Farrelly, we're going to make a sequel to Dumb and Dumber, and they were big fans of mine from uh, a show I hosted on HBO for Will Ferrell for a couple of years uh, called Funnier Die Presents. Uh, 
and Rick said, they would like you to be on board if you have any interest in that. Well, I'll be happy to send you a script. I said, you can send me a script if you want to, but you know what? Save the postage because, yes, I'm in. Absolutely. <laughs> you don't have to ask me twice. And I was pretty happy uh, even to be considered for something like that. And um, then about a week later, it was announced by Warner Brothers that they uh, had lost confidence in the project and were dropping out. So we didn't have a studio anymore, and we're right back where we started from uh, at square one. But shortly after that, uh, the the good people at Universal Pictures, in their infinite wisdom, uh, said, you know what, um, we don't know what the reasons for Warner Brothers' decision is, uh, but we know that this is a uh, an iconic franchise, and this film is going to do gangbusters. Um, just on on you know loyalty, just on fan loyalty alone. So we will pick it up. So now we're back in business again with Universal as our studio, and. Um, I guess in August I was called in to audition for Pete and Bobby, and uh, in October I was on a plane flying to Atlanta, and I had to pinch myself because it's, uh, it's been a hell of a ride since then. Well, you know, when people go in and they audition for these things, a lot of people they know coming out, they're like, I nailed it, I've got it, this role is mine, and that was not, not the me. case with you. <laughs> that didn't happen. Why, why, what was wrong? Why didn't you feel as though... This was going to be your spot, your role. I'll tell you, Dan, this was the worst audition I've had to date in my career. Ab- absolutely the worst. Not because of me particularly, but it was just a perfect storm of technical things going wrong. The uh, guy I was reading with uh, had the wrong script. Uh, so everything I read, he didn't have a, uh, an answer to and, and vice versa. And uh, the camera was uh, broken and the lights uh, went out, and there was something wrong with the sound, and we had to you know keep stopping and starting and stopping and starting and I felt like my whole I, I felt like the the wind had been sucked out of the room, and all my momentum was destroyed and you know by the time yeah at the end of the audition, you know Peter and Bobby, who were sitting right there, said, uh, "Okay, well, that was great uh, thanks, thanks for coming in and I walked out and I was steaming mad because I, I knew that I had just become the crash test dummy for the other five or six guys waiting to go in and audition for the same role. And they weren't going to have those problems. Um, no, and but I they knew typically that I had blown something. my chance to uh, work with the Farrelly brothers. I knew I had blown my chance to uh, have a part in this, uh, in this amazing movie. And that was the end of that. But about three weeks later, I got a call from my agent saying that I was the Farrelly's first choice for the role of Dr. Pinchelow. Uh, and you could have knocked me over with a feather. Um, you know, my dad always used to say, you can't feel your own handshake, uh, meaning uh, that, you, you know, would that we could see ourselves as others see us, and we just can't do that sometimes. And there was, um, it was one thing that got me the role, and I found out what that was later on when we were shooting in Atlanta when I pulled Peter aside and asked him, and, uh, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. Um, and so you go in and you commit and you do the best you can, even under difficult circumstances, and uh, leave the rest up to the fates. Well, let's find out a little bit about your character. The character that you play has kind of sort of gotten a name change because it's not the name that has been out on the Internet for a while. Tell us about this. Yeah, that's right. Ever since the project was announced, um, my name has been uh, Dr. Piccolo, P-I-C-H-L-O-W. And my wife, played by Lori Holden from The Walking Dead, uh, she was Adele Piccolo, and my daughter Penny, uh, played by Rachel Melvin, um, was uh, Penny Piccolo. And uh, we don't know 
We don't know why they did that. Uh, it was some sort of diversionary tactic, and, and I still don't know the reason for it. But our family name is actually Pinchelo, P-I-N-C-H-E-L-O-W. And although there's no uh, real joke associated with the name in the film, um, I encourage the audience members to make up their own jokes. <laughs> and we will. Yeah, uh, there's a fertile ground there. We'll, we'll do that a little later. So I guess I'm wondering, have you been able to see the film in, in its entirety? So there are some actors who do not like to watch themselves on screen. Well, I'm not a big fan of watching myself uh, in dailies, which is the, um, uh, the rough uh, cuts of the uh, material that was shot the day before. Um, I have a tendency, as I think a lot of actors do, to only see myself. But that's uh, very deceiving because there's a, a big frame of information there that I'm not paying attention to that's a lot more than just my own little uh, puny presence on the screen. Uh, but I'm the only thing I can see. So I don't go to dailies because I'm not fit to make those judgments. Um, but I did see the film uh, for the very first time last Monday at our premiere uh, here in Westwood in Los Angeles. And... Uh, I, the whole evening was kind of a blur, uh, but uh, the one thing I do remember very, very clearly is uh, we were sitting down in the, in the, um, at the front of the theater, and I remember hearing just gales of uproarious laughter for an hour and 50 minutes behind me, and um, boy, that made me feel good. I can imagine. You know, when uh, folks found out that you were going to be here, we encouraged them to send in their questions. And there was one that was far more common than any of the others. And folks wanted to know what it was like to work with Jim Carrey because he seemed sort of unpredictable. I mean, he was on Jimmy Kimmel last night. He was cutting people's hair uh, on the street. Cutting people haircuts. <laughs> Just randomly. So, I mean, is he really you know, all throttle, just completely untamable, or does this well, sort of a he's not all madness? throttle, but believe me, it's, it's throttle up most of the time. Um, Jim and Jeff are, are the perfect complements to one another, the yin to each other's yang. And um, while Jim is kind of frenetic and often a, a creative landscape most of the time, uh, Jeff is very, very laid back, and um, he, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but he's a very, very good guitarist, um, and he tra uh, travels with a, a little, uh, I guess you call it a travel guitar, and during setups between takes, Jeff will just, you know, very quietly by himself go off and find a, a dark uh, part on the set and sit down and plug his earbuds into his travel guitar and just sit there and play with his eyes closed until we're ready to shoot again. Um, but as soon as he's on the set again, he's, he's Harry Dunn uh, all over again. And, uh, boy, none, neither one of them has, has lost uh, even a, a you know, a, there's no bump in their stride from 20 years ago. They're absolutely amazing, as Harry and Lloyd. And, and to the question, what was it like working with, uh, with Jim? It was, uh, the only word I can think of is surreal. Um, I never in a million years imagined that I would be uh, performing uh, at this level with these, these kinds of um, uh, comic geniuses. I mean, in fact, my... My very first day on the film, I wasn't working with Harry or Lloyd. I was working with Freda Felcher, played by the Academy Award nominee um, uh, Kathleen Turner. And we spent the whole day in a, in a, uh, in a broom closet together, most of the time with the door closed, uh, waiting for them to call action. And we had some 
we had some very interesting conversations about lots of things, about life and acting, and and uh, I learned more in that closet uh, that day, I think, than I've learned in my entire career. Well, we also, I'm, I'm watching, I want to make sure that we have time to talk about a whole bunch of other things. We also have to give a quick nod, of course, to Rachel Melvin. We know her from Days of Our Lives, and she plays your daughter. My uh, little monkey. Your little monkey in this film. What was it like working with your little monkey? Let me tell you, if, uh, if this film does not catapult Rachel to um, a whole other level in her career, then there's something wrong. She, um, Penny Pinchelow, the daughter of Harry, um, did not fall far from the tree. And she, uh, if it's possible, is dumber than the two of them combined. <laughs> wow. And, um, which is no easy task because, boy, they, they bring the dumb so easily, uh, both Jim and Jeff. And Rachel was so good and and so wonderfully and endearingly dumb in, in this movie. Uh, this is going to be huge for her, and I'm so happy for her. One last thing related to movies. I have to ask this because, you know, it's dinner time here, at least on the East. When you're watching a movie, do you have a favorite go-to snack? Are you popcorn? Are you milk duds? Are you nothing at all? What's your, what's your go-to snack? Yeah, I... I uh... I have to confess, and I'm I'm sorry. It's it's the uh, oh the the candy coated peanuts. Those are all right, like goobers or like goobers. Everybody probably I think they're goobers or something like that. Those are good. There's nothing yeah, wrong well, with they, that. They've got this sort of sugary, um, crystalline, uh, sort of mapley coating on them. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, oh God, they're good. That sounds. That sounds tasty. Now, of course, now I'm going to be thinking about those for the next 40 minutes. But that's all right, because there are other things to distract me in the meantime. We talked about earlier that there is another sequel that you're working on, and it is going to be, I don't know if we're giving anything away here, but previously there was a six-part miniseries called The Spoils of Babylon. Hilarious. Yes. It was an IFC. And now you are going to be working on a sequel. That's kind of cool. Yeah, oh, it's very cool. Um, as a result of my work on Funny or Die Presents uh, for Will Ferrell a few years ago, um, I was contacted uh, earlier this year to be a part of The Spoils of Babylon, which is um, a television adaptation of a fictional novel uh, written by a fictional novelist who's sort of a big, bloated, self-important sot by the name of Eric John Rush. Uh, and that character is played by Will Ferrell. <laughs> And it's, it's so wonderful. It was so wonderful because it was just a big, loving uh, homage to those those huge, uh, over-the-top, cheaply produced uh, miniseries of the 70s and 80s, like Rich Man, Poor Man, The Thornbirds, and uh, Shogun, stuff like that. And it, was, it, it did so well. The numbers were so huge that IFC asked us to do another one, or asked uh, Will to do another one. And so uh, that's what we're going to do. And uh, I will be back, and I can tell you now that Kristen Wiig will be back as well. Um, and this one is going to be called The Spoils Before Dying, and it's going to be a, a very uh, lush, sort of dark film noir detective story, and we're really looking forward to it. We'll start shooting that, I think, in, uh, in March, and it should be on your TV screens uh, sometime in the summer. Well, that's we want it sooner than that. We uh, we we need more of you. So in between then, 
summer and in between now, as I mentioned, you're in theaters, well, so to speak, right now. What are some of the other things that folks can look forward to between now and then that you'll be popping up on? I, I mentioned. Oh my gosh! Well, we um, tomorrow night we're going to the uh, the uh, season three wrap party for a show that I recur on uh, called Major Crimes on TNT. I play uh, a judge, Judge Craig Richwood, uh, on that show, and our actually we just finished shooting the third season. In fact, uh, Lori Holden, who plays my wife in Dumb and Dumber Two. Um, has created a role on major crimes and she is shooting the season ender episode right now today is her last day uh so it's kind of odd that we we both moved over together uh and wound up together on major crimes after dumb and dumber uh so that's that's oh uh, and our uh, our winter season uh starts on november 24th on tnt so i invite everybody to uh come over to tnt and have a good time with uh the folks at major crimes and we also, of course, invite everyone to check out Dumb and Dumber 2. It's playing now, right now, probably right now, literally in theaters nationwide. You can find showtimes in theaters and even buy tickets. It's amazing what you can do on the Internet now. I, I think like, I'm going to sneak it, try to sneak into a screening tonight. I'm just going to give that a try. Because I've never seen it with a real audience, and I can't wait to do that. I think that might be a lot of fun. But uh, yeah. we'll let you plot that out, your, your sneaking. Well, before, will you go in a disguise, do you think? No, no, I'm just going to go as me, and, and I guarantee you, no one will recognize me. Uh, well, I'll argue with that, but Steve Tom, I want to thank you so much <laughs> for taking some time out to chat with us today, and maybe we'll have you back as we get closer to the spoils before dying. That like would be great. I, uh, Dan, they have me back anytime. I'm, uh, I'm at your disposal. Thank you, everybody. We have to take a quick break, but we're going to be back with more of this week's episode of Crawl Call in just a minute. Stay tuned. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, so fans, are you looking for the inside scoop on your favorite daytime drama series? For 15 years, soap fans have looked no further than SoapCentral.com. Every day, SoapCentral.com has comprehensive daily recaps of all the happenings on your favorite soap operas. Take a sneak peek ahead with the scoop for spoilers and previews, or share your thoughts with soap fans from around the world on our bustling message boards. If you're looking for a little history or just looking to settle a bet with a friend, check out hundreds of character profiles and actor biographies. Now you'll be able to know who slept with who and who's come back from the dead the most times. Plus, exclusive interviews, red carpet coverage of the daytime Emmys, and much more. Whether you watch The Young and the Restless, General Hospital, All My Children, or any of the other soaps, SoapCentral.com will keep you tuning in tomorrow. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. We are shifting gears completely here for our next segment for discussion that I think is one that's very important that we have. 
is, you know, when we think of children going to bed hungry and not having enough food to eat, we probably immediately think to all of those late night commercials that we see that talk about children in faraway places. But in a statistic that completely stunned me, and it may stun you too, one in five children in America face hunger. These are children that are in our own towns, maybe even in our own neighborhoods. And filmmaker Patrick Creedon is here today to talk about his documentary called Going to Bed Hungry, The Changing Face of Child Hunger. Patrick, thanks for being here with us this week. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's great to be here. This is a very eye-opening film to me, Patrick, and I'm imagining that that was probably the point. Yeah. <laughs> um... You know, when I first heard about the story, uh, I was approached by uh, the good folks at Unilever, Project Sunlight. Uh, they wanted to tell the story. They asked me to help them make a film with them about people who are facing this problem in America. And I have to, can I be totally honest with you? Like, Absolutely. At first I thought, well, first I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that one in five kids in America face food insecurity in their lives. Um, but then the second thing I thought was, this is like a really sad story, and, and I, it's an important one, but at the same time, it almost felt like too sad to even try to tell the story. Um, and then I started meeting the families, and I started meeting the kids. It's an incredibly hopeful story, and it's, in, it's a very inspiring one. Basically, the families that we met and the families that are in our film um, are working-class families. Uh, all the parents have jobs, but the kids are great. They go to good schools. They live in communities that might look like communities that you and I live in. Um, and yet, uh, life has thrown them all curveballs uh, in one way or another. And here they are uh, looking for ways to feed their family uh, when they hit a rough patch. Um, so it's a short film. It's about five minutes long. Uh, you can see it on projectsunlight.us. Uh, and it's a story we're really proud of. Um, my, my background... Uh, traditionally has been feature-length films, feature-length documentary films, uh, but it was really cool making a short film about these incredible people. I mentioned that you were going to be a guest on the show to some of the people I encounter in my everyday life, some neighbors, and it was really, it was fascinating to me to see the way that people reacted. They seemed much more at ease talking about children overseas that were in need than they exactly. were to thinking exactly. that there were children here. Why do you think that is? That's a great question. Um, <clears throat> when there's a problem like hunger that exists, uh, hunger is such a, it's a, it's one of the, one of the basic human needs, uh, food. And when a problem like that exists in the world and it exists far away from you, um, it's almost hard to, it's almost hard to really um, sort of feel like you can experience that. It, it, feels, it just feels foreign to you. Uh, and yet here we are in 2014, uh, in the middle of or coming out of a recession, depending on how you look at it, and a lot of families in America, in nice communities, very middle class, parents have jobs, um, these families have a hard time putting dinner on the table at the end of the day. Um, they're paying their car payments, they're paying rent or a mortgage, um, and then all of a sudden, boom, you get hit with a, some big medical bill 
uh, boom, a family might go through something like a difficult divorce, let's say. That was one of the stories that we saw. Um, one of the families we met, uh, their husband, who's an Iraq war vet, uh, passed away this summer very unexpectedly. Um, any one of those kinds of reasons uh, could, I think, uh, could, could lead any one of us to the kinds of situation that our families are in today. I think that it's, that's really important. It, when you live in a large city, you know, maybe there's, there are things that you see. I know that here in Philadelphia there's been arguments over whether or not uh, a local church group should be allowed to feed homeless residents on the parkway here in Philadelphia. Uh, there's been a lot of argument about that. But it would be easy to go and focus on another aspect. This is something, like you said, these are possibly neighbors, and these are situations in, in many cases – that were beyond their control, a, a divorce, a, a sudden death, a su- surprise illness. And I, I think that, you know, that's what really sort of brought this home is that there are really so many people who we may not know who are in need. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> I would say if there's a silver lining in all this, it's, it's that when there is a problem that exists near you and that exists in your own community, you're that much closer to it and you're that much more able to become involved in it and become engaged in it. Um, the, the folks at, at Unilever Project Sunlight uh, put together something they call a share, share a meal toolkit. Um, it's great. It, it offers really good advice and good ideas on how people can get involved in their own community. Uh, how they can find a local food bank or a local food pantry, uh, offer donations, offer food donations, offer uh, their time uh, and their efforts. Um, I should say that I would be remiss if I didn't add one thing. Kids aren't the only ones that are struggling. We're seeing a lot of senior citizens who are in the same boat. Uh, these are people who, again, maybe it's a, a medical condition, uh, maybe it's caring for a loved one, uh, maybe it's suddenly being out of work for the first time in 40 years. Um, and so a lot of elders are also facing uh, this problem of food insecurity. Um, and so I, I think the thing that I, the thing I'll take away from this project and having spent several months working on it is that I was nervous the first time I walked into a food pantry. I didn't know what to expect. I thought it would be like a really sad place. It was exactly the opposite. There's an incredible energy when people come together either to share a meal or to help provide a meal to a family and to their kids. And these food pantries, there's, I mean, there's thousands of them across our country. Um, they are a place where magic happens every day. I, 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 I'm not, I don't say that lightly. Um, these are the places where uh, people come for help and people come to give help. And it was really great to see that and to meet all these great families who are on either side of the food insecurity uh, problem that our country uh, faces today. So it was, um, you know, the, the, the thing is my wife and I have three kids. They're 12, 10, and 7. And now that I've told this story and spent so much time with it, you know, I'm sure that the people at our local public school where our kids go to school or people in our neighborhood, kids in our neighborhood, um, I'm sure a lot of families are dealing with this, and, and I would have never thought that, um, and now I know differently. There are people who are listening who are wanting to help, 
And maybe they're thinking, I'm myself not in a financial place where I can make a, a large donation to help out. Are there other ways that they can get involved? Are there other things that they can do to help make a difference? Yeah, I, what I would do is this. I would just look for your local food pantry. There's one thing I want to point out, because I didn't know this until we worked on the film. There are things called food banks, and these are often big warehouses where food is stored until it can be distributed. So there are food banks, and then there's what we call food pantries. So every food bank, there might be one or two in every city, um, they support dozens if not hundreds of food pantries. What I personally would do is I would find a local food pantry. Maybe it's at a church, maybe it's at a school, maybe it's a sort of a standalone food pantry, and I would walk down there and say, hi, my name is Patrick, and I'd like to help out. And I guarantee you that if, for those of you listening, if you spend one hour doing that, it will not be the last time you go volunteer and you go help because there's a spirit that exists at these, at these, at these food pantries. There's this sort of human emotion uh, that is created when people come together sort of during tough times like this uh, that you're going to want to be a part of. So we're actually, um, we're actually kicking off a, a venture at our, at our kids' local school, our local public school here in Los Angeles where we want to help raise awareness of the issue. It's pretty easy to do. We've talked to the principal, we've talked to some of the teachers, and we're going to start that conversation at our school. Um, it's, uh, it's not only a great way to help other people, it's also a great way to, to appreciate everything that we, that we have. I know that here in Philadelphia, around Thanksgiving, which will be here before you know it, the local Boy Scouts, they do a food drive, they do, there's Phil Abundance here in Philadelphia that also helps. So I know that there are definitely things across the country. And for people who want that information, Patrick, where again can they go to find out more about Project Sunlight? I would go to projectsunlight.us. Um, and when you go to, the, to that website, there's something called a Share a Meal Toolkit. Um, open that up, and there's tons of great information there, including where you can type in your, your zip code, and they can pull up several different food pantries or food banks uh, where you could go and, and help out. And that's where I would start. That's a really good place to start. Um, and I know that so many of your listeners, especially in Philadelphia, um, it's, like I said, when a problem like this exists far away from you, it's sort of easy to tune it out. I hate to say that, but it, it's easier to tune that problem out if it seems like it's across the ocean. When it's across the street, um, I think that that's the kind of thing that we have to face up to, and we have to um, think about ways to make it better. I know none of us want to live in communities that have this kind of a problem, and, um, and that's why the, the work that so many people do uh, at food pantries and food banks around the country is so important and so rewarding. And I think there's also a lot of perhaps changing the culture where, and we've said it a couple of times, but it's worth repeating, there tends to be a reaction that if someone needs to go to a food bank, there's been a, a historical reaction of they must have done something wrong. There must be something going on. Yep. And as we're saying, that isn't the case. And I think maybe part of that other process is to change what our own reactions are 
and our own thoughts about this. Dan, that is, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, that's the old story of hunger. The new story of hunger, the new face of hunger in America are people that I think look a lot like you and I. They look a lot like uh, our kids or our kids' friends and our families. Um, that is the sad reality of what's happening right now in our country. Um, I think, I hope it's a problem uh, that's only going to get better in the years ahead. But step number one is to find out about the problem. Uh, the film, it's about four and a half minutes long. Um, we're very, very proud of it. Um, like I said, I mostly do feature-length films, uh, but to do a short film was actually a really kind of a cool opportunity for us. And the film is very, uh, it's very emotional. I, I really recommend people it checking it out. That's also on the website at, at projectsunlight.us. If you missed all of that, or if you're someplace where you won't be able to write it down, fear not. We've posted all the information about how you can see Going to Bed Hungry, The Changing Face of Child Hunger, and learn more about Project Sunlight on our Twitter feed at Kroll Call Show, and of course on our website at krollcall.com. Patrick, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out. I think now is a really good time to be talking about this, so thank you for spending some time with us today. I couldn't agree more. Thanks so much, Dan. We have to take a quick break, but we will be back with more of this week's show. Stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, so fans, are you looking for the inside scoop on your favorite daytime drama series? For 15 years, soap fans have looked no further than SoapCentral.com. Every day, SoapCentral.com has comprehensive daily recaps of all the happenings on your favorite soap operas. Take a sneak peek ahead with the scoop for spoilers and previews, or share your thoughts with soap fans from around the world on our bustling message boards. If you're looking for a little history or just looking to settle a bet with a friend, check out hundreds of character profiles and actor biographies. Now you'll be able to know who slept with who and who's come back from the dead the most times. Plus, exclusive interviews, red carpet coverage of the daytime Emmys, and much more. Whether you watch The Young and the Restless, General Hospital, All My Children, or any of the other soaps, SoapCentral.com will keep you tuning in tomorrow. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Going to the chapel and we're gonna get married. Going to the chapel and we're gonna get married. I almost don't want to cut off these songs. I like listening to them. But welcome back to Curl Call. <laughs> For those of you out there, you know the holidays are rapidly approaching and that will probably mean that a lot of engagement announcements are going to be flooding our Facebook timelines and Twitter feeds very soon. And then there'll be spring and summer weddings and perhaps, just perhaps, some of those brides-to-be will end up on the hit TLC series, Something Borrowed, Something New, 
And it's amazing how this worked out. We just so happened to have one of the series hosts, Style Guru Sam Sabora, here with us this week. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks, and I'm super excited to be here. Happy, well, we, it's what we call Bride Day today, um, which means it's Friday, and that is, that's Bride Day on TLC. So I'm excited to be here in a very timely way, along with that great song. It is. Well, something borrowed, something new. You've cut out a couple of things there. There's, what is it? There's something blue, right? What is it? How does it go? We cut out something borrowed, something new, something, uh, oh my gosh. Something borrowed, something new, something, something, something blue. What is it? something? I don't know. <laughs> I should know this, and I'm an expert. Twitter people, help us. Is it something old? Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. That's correct. There we go. Okay, so how did I not get that? That sounds like a soap opera. That was a trick the old, question. Um, the old and the beautiful. I mean, whatever. <laughs> So, something borrowed, something new, now in its third season. That seems to be the lucky number here on the show today, on TLC. Tell everybody, what is the show about, in case for some reason they're not aware? What is something borrowed, something new? Well, it's actually a really cool show. It's kind of what I call junk food, uh, because it's only 30 minutes long. It's super fast. What basically happens is my co-host, Kelly Nishimoto, is the something borrowed. I am the something new. And a bride and her mom or her grandmother or her father come in with what we call the borrowed dress. And that means it's a dress that either the mom wore, the dad's mom wore, some some historical kind of family heirloom gown um, that belongs to this family and is very important. And my co-host remakes the borrowed dress, and I find the bride a brand new dress, and they kind of compete kind of head-to-head um, against each other. And in the end, the bride ends up choosing between the two dresses. She chooses one dress. Um, so Kelly really transforms the heirloom gown. We've had dresses that are over 100 years old on the show. We've had wow. three three generations of women that have worn the dress, like the, you know, the great-grandmother, the grandmother, and the mother. Um, so there's a lot of history, a ton of emotion. Um, you get the kind of makeover feeling. So at the end, you get to see not only the transformation of the borrowed dress, but you get to see the bride kind of, you know, making her very emotional choice. And we have some very serious moms on the show that are definitely buying and pushing hard. Um, <laughs> their dress to be chosen. So it gets a little heated and it's super emotional. It's like a very, very uplifting feel good um, um, show. And we're really proud of, of you know the work we've done about 60 brides um, uh, by now and all successful. So. 60 brides. Okay, 60 so that's a nice brides. round Imagine. number. You should pour what? me a glass of wine right now just to, after hearing that. <laughs> that is a serious amount of uh, estrogen and emotion. It's like the biggest <laughs> thing on, at a bride's day. Okay, so the question that people probably want to know, they hear 60, it's a great number, it's, it gives them a, a great ability to work percentages out in their head. What has been the, the typical breakdown? Do people usually choose a new dress? Do they choose the vintage dress? What's the breakdown, this the, Sam? This is the best part. It is, it's almost been 50-50 for three seasons now. And the cool Get part out. is Kelly and I don't even, we don't see the dress. We don't see the choice before we see it, like when, when we see it on TV. So what's cool about our show, and you hear a lot about reality shows kind of, you know, being produced. And our show is pretty real for a reality show. Kelly doesn't see my dress. I don't see her dress. So when we see the bride come out in the remake of the dress, you know, I'm seeing it for the first time and the family's seeing it for the first time. And our brides are blindfolded during all the fittings and the try-ons. So when they see it on TV in the mirror, you know, my dresses and her dresses, it's all legit. It's all real. So um, it makes it even harder because they don't have any control over basically the choosing of their dress until they see it when it's on their body. So it's pretty cool. And, and the show, you know, the 50-50 thing is weird because we always think we know what, who, what she's going to pick. 
and we kind of bet, and the whole crew is betting, and we're all kind of wondering, you know, what it's going to be, and half the time we're wrong. So it's it's pretty up in the air. These brides are all over the place. And we have to note on this, I'm wondering how this worked out. I I've, haven't been able to catch all of the episodes yet, but your co-host, Kelly, was also a bride of the week. So how did that yeah. work out? Uh, that was a little crazy. We That was the first episode of the season. Uh, it was our season premiere this year, uh, back in in October. And what happened was that was the final, was the final bride that we shot um, for season three, and they kept it a secret from me, which drove me a little bit crazy when I found out. They surprised me, you know, pretty much live. Um, she was sitting there. There was no bride on the couch when there normally is, and they had been kind of stringing me along for two weeks, and, you know, they made up a fake bride, and I was kind of looking at Pinterest boards <laughs> for a fake bride, and then Kelly sprung it on me that she was going to be the bride that week. Um, and I basically had to rush and find her a wedding dress, which was cool. And she actually ended up picking my dress, the new dress, so, um, which was shocking because I think everyone expected her to pick the, the heirloom, the family dress. But um, it was cool. It was a great episode. It was cool to flip the switch um, for her to experience what the bride's experience. So let's get to another question that sort of popped up with this. You mentioned, you know, it's, it's bride day. What? Why? I'm trying to, yeah, I don't even know how to get to this, but why are we so fascinated with weddings, whether it be a royal wedding or whether it be someone who we don't know on, you know, something borrowed, something new? Why are we just so interested in weddings? You know, I think there's a lot of emotion behind weddings. I think it's a coming together of families. I think it's a celebration of love. I think that you're seeing a woman at her ultimate, at her most beautiful. And, you know, we always say this, but it's pretty much true. Like, there's no, there's no ugly bride. Um, it's, no matter what the bride looks like, no matter what dress she chooses, she's glowing and she's full mm-hmm. of love and light. And, you know, there's always this great energy that comes along with the wedding. So it's really a celebration of something that, you know, I think every girl from a young age wants to look at and wants to, you know, wants to aspire to when she becomes a bride. So, you know, we have a really big um, younger audience. And what's been cool is, like, even celebrities and stuff, they tell us they, they sit with their, their kids and they watch the show. Like, the moms, you know, kind of like the girls will put down their cell phones and they'll sit with their mom and watch the show. And then when the show finishes, they go and they make their mom drag out her wedding dress. They start trying it on and they tweet us and send us pictures, which is really cool. So it's kind of something that I think, you know, women and people like like to celebrate celebration of love, I guess. And we're, we're also fascinated with the after, you know, kind of seeing a transformation or a makeover, and you get both of those things on our show, which is so cool. Well, we have someone who did not want to call in because, well, they were too shy. And actually reading this question, I'm pretty sure I know why they didn't want to call in. But there's a question for you. If you are ready to be a wedding expert, Sam, I've got a question from a, a I listener I will take for that you. question. Is it from you? Are you the secret it's it's from a friend no i don't know it's from someone who submitted it and they said are you ready for this one sure my fiance's family is paying for the majority of our wedding expenses and that has led my future mother-in-law to sort of tell us how the wedding will be she's not asking she's telling how do i remind her that this is my wedding day not hers without causing all kinds of trouble and fighting sam what does she do? Sam was so scared by the question that he has dropped off the line. So we will wait and hope that he calls back in the time that we have. But in the meantime, let me tell you a little bit more about where you can see more about Something Borrowed, Something New. It airs Fridays at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central on TLC 
And you can follow Sam on Twitter. We're going to have all of that information on our official website at CrollCall.com. You can also submit more of your questions that you may have for Sam in the event Dan, that... Dan, I'm here. You are here. Did you I hear the question? You, and I, and I, it's a cliffhanger for the question. I, I apologize. It was. I thought that you were, didn't want to answer it. So what just, is the answer? I just shut it down. <laughs> I didn't hear the whole question. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Short I version. The fiance, the fiance family is paying for the wedding. And the mother-in-law-to-be is pretty much telling them how the wedding will be. She's not asking. She's telling them. And the bride wants to know, this is her wedding day, not the mother-in-law's. How does she say that without causing all kinds of trouble and, you know, ruining the wedding? Um, You know, I think that you have to have a come to Jesus a little bit when you have a situation like this. We have a lot of overbearing moms on our show that, of course, are vying for the bride to wear the mom's dress. And I think it's hard when money comes into play because I think the mother-in-law may have expectations of how she wants the wedding to be. And we see that a lot on these bride shows with the entourage really kind of imposing their case and imposing their thoughts and their vision on the bride. Um, I think that it's something that needs to be nipped in the bud right away where they sit down with one another and the bride maybe reminds the mother-in-law of how important it was on her wedding day when she was planning her wedding to make it personal and special and her own and, you know, be grateful for the contribution financially, but to insist that, you know, that let's say 70% of this wedding is, is really in the bride's planning hands and that the mother-in-law, of course, is welcome to put her input in, but the bride has to have the final say. So many brides, I feel, get lost in those family moments where they, they basically sacrifice their wants and needs, even with the dress or the planning of the wedding for members of the family. And I think that it's important that a bride stick up for herself. It's her day. Um, and whether the mom has great taste or not, I feel like the mom needs to be, um, you know, gently told that they would like to, uh, to take ownership of their, own, of their own wedding, the bride. Well, I have to take ownership of the show. We only have about a minute or so left for this, so I want you to quickly let everybody know where they can find you, where they can go, where they can get all the information, and then hopefully we'll be able to have you back as we get into some of these wedding seasons to give more information and we'll talk more and catch up. So where can they I find you? I love that. Um, you guys can find me, you know, obviously TLC tonight at 10, 9 central on TLC. It's something borrowed, something new. Um, Kelly and I will be tweeting live tonight, so you can find us on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Sam Styles, and we hashtag um, SBSN, which stands for something borrowed, something new. Uh, also, I have a new bridal site launching. It's called Robe et Voile, which is uh, dress and veil in French. And you can find me there on Pinterest and on uh, Instagram. So you la- worst case scenario, Google my name and it all comes up. But we would love to see everyone tonight at 109 Central on TLC. Sounds like fun. And I'm going to, of course, tweet all that information out on our official Twitter feed, so go there. Sam Sabor, I want to thank you so much for uh, helping solve wedding dilemmas, for giving us more information about your show. And as I said, please feel free to come back anytime you'd like, and we'll, we'll talk more style and weddings and things like that. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure talking to you, and uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. All right, everybody. We are unfortunately out of time for our jam-packed, this is a really jam-packed episode of Stuff. I want to say a special thank you to my guests this week, Steve Tom, Patrick Creedon, and Sam Sabora. If you want more information about anything that we talked about today, whether it's Steve Tom's new projects or how to view Patrick Creedon's documentary or get involved with Project Sunlight or when and where to watch Sam Sabora on Something Borrowed, Something New, follow us, as I said, on Twitter at Crawl Call Show. Like our Crawl Call page on Facebook or head over to our website at crawlcall.com. We also have a show archive on our website where you can listen to all the shows that we broadcast. It's completely free. It's on demand. It's anytime you want. As I said, it's free. And if you also like free, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for Curl Call. It's also completely free. Now, next week, 
It's our last show before Thanksgiving, so we are getting you prepared for Thanksgiving with our Thanksgiving Survival Guide. We'll have cooking tips and tricks from the Kitchen Witch, Lindsay Wells. Our Crow Call Life Coach, Cynthia James, will tell us, what do you do when you just don't get along with the people who are going to be at your dinner table? <laughs> That'll be fun. I'll be listening to that one for sure. And actress Jen Lilly will be talking about making cakes and days, days of our lives and youthful days. That's Friday, November 21st at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. I want to thank you so much for joining us this week. And we hope that when the crawl comes calling, I don't know what this means, but you'll join us next week. We'll figure it out what that means by the next week at this time. In the meantime, we hope to have you back here next time. Have a great week, everybody. And thanks for joining us. Thank you.